Hello, and welcome to this episode of Voices and in Innovation from GigaOM. I'm Johnny Baldisberger, your host, and today we have a special episode brought to you by TaskTop. Our VP of Research, John Collins, will be speaking to Mick Kirsten, the founder and CEO of TaskTop, as well as author of Project to Product. We hope you enjoy. Just listen. Hello and welcome to this Voices in Innovation special where I'm here to speak to Mick Kirsten, who's founded companies around value stream management. We'll get into what that is. He's written books around uh, um, project to product. We'll get to what that is. But most importantly, I'm here to speak as someone who's been around the block a few times with someone else that's been around the block a few times, trying to understand how to help people build and deploy applications at speed, at high levels of quality and doing all the right things and helping customers. And the reason why I find this topic so interesting, uh, uh, full disclosure, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, I was an agile development consultant. I was helping organizations build, deploy things. We thought we had it all worked out back then. We thought, you know, if we go in, we'll tell them how to, you know, how to work in stakeholder teams. We'll tell them how to be collaborative, how to think about, you know, business processes before they started and how to, and then everything would work. But the fact is we're still having the same conversations. So this is really, really frustrating. And I want to know what's going to make a difference now, because I don't want to be having this podcast in 20 years time. So I'm going to hand over to you, Mick, to, to introduce yourself. But uh, uh, I don't know if you've kind of got a similar angst to me or a, a similar journey. What, what, what's your story? Uh, hi, John. Thank you for asking. Uh, it is a terribly depressing, I think, start to the podcast. But but the bottom line is, <laughs> uh yeah, 20 years ago is when, when I started doing XP with my teams, right? 20 years ago is when I got continuous integration, when I was also a sysadmin in addition to being a developer, and I mm-hmm. got continuous delivery going for our the developer tools that we were creating. And the I, so I, I don't think it's completely depressing in the sense that I think we've done the last 20 years of progress and of Agile, the, those things that we knew back then, those things that, that you were taking your clients through, uh, those have worked, in my view, for teams right? Teams are working better now than they were working 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think there's been tremendous progress for developers where the, the developer tooling, uh, the practices that are understood, the programming languages and frameworks that are there are much, much better than what we had 20, 20 years ago. Uh, where I think there's been no improvement and where I think it is actually a, you know, deeply concerning to me as, as it is to you is at the level above that, right? At the level of the value stream of the organization. So mm-hmm. to me, the question becomes is, well, how is it that we've actually made things better for, for teams in many ways, uh, for individual developers and practitioners in many ways where it's, we have such a big mess at the organizational level? So it was, to, and is that your kind of capturing of, of, of the problem we're trying to solve is kind of, everything's working fine at a granular level, or, or at least people get it. They get the principles at a granular level, but then it's when they try and do it at scale that- Yeah, fall off. I'll take those as two questions actually. So okay. people get it at the granular level, at the team level, right? The problem is when you have these dysfunctions where you don't have these concepts of lean and agility and flow, 
at the organization level, you can do very bad things for the for the granular level, right? When you've got dev teams constantly waiting on some bottleneck, on, on some review process, an overly onerous code review, let's say code review seems like a great idea. I, I thought uh, for, for a decade, the better part of a decade, I thought the right thing was that every single line of code that our developers wrote had to have a code review. We actually analyzed the flow, we applied theory of constraints and realized it was not a great idea. And mm -hmm. that we could actually maintain or improve quality while releasing that constraint because the things that we'd read in research papers and the things that I was so convinced of actually turned out to, to be wrong when we looked at it at a systemic level. So the challenge is that I, in terms of the practices, I think those practices that, as you said, you were applying 20 years ago, they still make sense. They, they haven't actually evolved that much. It's just that if we don't apply them at the level of the value stream, at the level of the organization, uh, we actually can impede the, the, the work of our teams in, in very in big ways and get in the way of their agility. While, mm -hmm. and this is, I think, a fascinating part, while they've mastered agility, they understand their burn down charts. They understand their work in progress at a level the organizations doesn't. Uh, they understand how overloaded they are. So you actually have teams who are even more frustrated because they know what the practices are and the organization is, is not supporting them. So I, I, I'll, I'll throw something in here, um, which it, it, it's both a confession and a kind of um, an element of confusion in my head. So I finally got around to reading the Phoenix Project, which is really embarrassing. Um, it kind of, uh, I'd already met Gene Kim when, when he was, uh, when he was working for Tripwire, I think it was. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I was getting briefed by et cetera, et cetera. And then what actually happened was um, back in 2007, I think it came out, was exactly at the same moment that I just got so fed up of having an opinion for hire all the time. I just said, this analyst thing, I'm done with it. I'm going to, you know, I'm good. <laughs> I'm just going to go and ghostwrite for a little while. I don't want anything more to do with being an analyst. And so I literally took my eye off that ball. Book comes out, whole movement spawns. Uh, 10 years later, you know, 13 years later, everyone's talking about it. So I thought I'd read the book, finally got around to it. And what fascinated me, two things. You mentioned Eli Goldratt, who's like a kind of, you know, uh, he's one of the people, put him up there with, with Gandhi and, and, and everyone else, people I would have loved to have met while they were alive. Um, yeah. And he didn't die that long ago, um, but uh, I, I, I just, uh, and you mentioned uh, XP as well, you know, I did meet Ken Beck and it's always great to uh, sit down with people that have these kind of epiphanies and, and can bring so much to the to the world that of, of technology delivery. Um, but uh, so yes, it had that, that Goldratt element and it was a, an homage almost to, 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 to the Eli Goldratt's critical chain and the goal. But uh, the other thing that, I think you've touched upon there. What really struck me was it's not very much about development. It's actually about change management and change delivery and actually releasing stuff and getting that throughput. And something that uh, um, uh, uh, stuck in my head when I was writing about Goldratt stuff was the old adage about uh, a motor car, that you can only put as many motor cars through the production line as you can build engine blocks or whatever it is that's mm -hmm. the slowest thing that you're doing. Uh, that's going to dictate your entire rate of production. And I think that's, that to me was the nub of what we're still getting wrong. It's we've sped up everything, but we still don't have a handle on what's the slowest thing. And it could be testing, it could be uh, governance, it could be uh, just review gateways, it could be um, uh, you know, uh, um, what's coming through Atlassian at, at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. But because we don't have a handle on that, things are 
running very fast, but they're still running very slow. We've still got those bottlenecks, et cetera. So that, I, I don't know if that relates to, because you speak to a lot of co companies every day uh, about this stuff. I don't know if that relates to your experience. It absolutely does. <clears throat> and it's, it's for me, the, for a lot of organizations who've, you know, a lot of leaders have, have read the Phoenix Project. I think this is the, the impact that's made on the industry is so fundamental because it got people at more senior levels interested in, in understanding their, basically their, their technology operations and, uh, and, and their IT portfolios. And, you know, to me, it's a fascinating thing because the, they were, the three ways of DevOps are introduced in the Phoenix Project. And those are flow feedback and continual learning. So mm -hmm. those are the overarching principles. However, the problem that's being solved in the Phoenix project, of course, is actually in, in an operations problem uh, and where we get into the types of work and the rest. So I think Gene with that set a vision for the industry that in the end is around value streams. He didn't actually address the development side of it as much until the unicorn project. And he and I have had countless conversations about this. So I think he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he actually <laughs> augmented it. That's the last chapter. It's like, yeah. oh, with yeah. the unicorn project, the end. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and in in the book, the Unicorn Project, these things actually do come together because I think what you've said is it's it's the three ways of DevOps to me are still uh, you know a, a guiding principles, right? We want end-to-end -end flow, feedback, and learning, fast decision making, the ability for the business to adapt, not just teams being agile, not just development being agile, but the organization becoming agile and being able to innovate through you know through application portfolios and and products and services. So the I think, and you hit on it, right? Is is the the Phoenix project, the Unicorn project? They, they inspire people in pretty big ways. But then, what do you do, right? If you only focus in on operations, uh, you're only measuring. You know, you're only looking at a, a small subset of your value stream, right? For some organizations, mm -hmm. that is a bottleneck. For others, it isn't. So, if we really, I think, you know, looked at what you know, what is the silver bullet? Why is value stream management so interesting? And I think, I think you hit on it, John. I think you know, I've been sending around. Uh, your lucky me, <laughs> <laughs> your report around this to to many people because I think it's a, just a concise representation of it. But if you could just have you know if there is a silver bullet, that silver bullet is visibility on your bottleneck, right? If you could uh -huh. see your bottleneck, then you would actually know where to apply effort, where to apply resources. And the moment you apply to there, all of a sudden, many many teams across your organization would be much happier. Your throughput would be much higher. Uh, your your you know, we see this actually when organizations apply resources to the bottleneck to the constraint, uh, their employee engagement goes up across tens or hundreds of staff because all of a sudden this all this waste, all these wait states, all of this bottleneck is relieved. And so I think the silver bullet is is basically what you just said, right? Which is if you can make your bottleneck visible. By looking at okay. the end-to-end -end value stream, not just a small segment, not just CI your CI/CD pipeline, then you actually can make dramatic progress in the course of weeks. So let let me put a hypothesis to you uh, as someone that kind of went away for a bit and then came back and and found everything working brilliantly, apart from the fact it wasn't. Um, is is something that you just said is that it was always about value streams. Yeah. Uh, Something I, I actually had a conversation with uh, a, a big bank in um, it, it's actually a big UK bank, but it was with a, a, a guy in India um, uh, around value stream management yesterday, and um, we, we we talked about we talked about this this concept of uh, why now why why has it suddenly emerged out, out of nowhere as uh, and I know that you know the guys over at Forrester they've written great reports about it we've been writing a lot of reports about it um, uh, and. I think part of the answer is it was always about flow. It was always about metrics, et cetera, et cetera. 
but that constantly got put off like kind of yeah we'll get around to that we'll get around to that and as, as someone once said to me and it's a, something i've quoted ever since crisis is a problem with no time left to solve it so yes. it was always about value streams that was always going to be the, the visibility was always going to be the the thing that people should do but for 10 years out of the 13 years of devops it wasn't the thing yeah. that everyone was doing three years ago roughly people said enough or or literally the situation said enough pipelines said we've had enough of this we need a higher level of, uh, of management governance visibility that's actually going to uh, help deliver the things that it should have been delivering in the first place yeah exactly and so i was as, as i was writing project the product i was reminding myself as you know what I, I i first of all i completely agree with your statement john it's it's always been around value streams so i went and flipped back to ken beck's xp book which to me was you know hugely inspirational when i read it in, i think in 99 and uh and he's got a chapter on theory of constraints i'd somehow forgotten that he's got a chapter on theory of constraints in there but he 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 back then it was always around value streams and then it's like there was this decade of agility where it became uh -huh. just around the team. And then there was this decade of DevOps where it just became about you know, dev to ops and, and CICD. And, but the principles were never around that. They, they were not around that in the XP book. They were not around that in the agile literature. They were not around that in, in even the Phoenix project. We've just taken, you know, taken subsets that were easier problems to solve and uh -huh. over-focused on them. So the... You know, that in itself, you wouldn't think would be damaging. The problem is the number of large scale initiatives out there, digital transformations that are actually only looking at arm our teams agile, are we able to deliver software, uh, you know, repeatedly quickly, uh, are, are just completely misguided because they're only looking at these two smaller segments of the value stream, right? We've, we've got customer data that shows us that uh, for some large enterprises, two and a half percent of the flow time is spent in development. If you're optimizing that much around two and a half percent of your value stream, your gold rat is sadly rolling over in his grave, right? <laughs> that is the exact opposite of what he would have wanted us to do. So yeah, he's he's spinning. He's spinning. There he is. Um, he's spinning. He's spinning. Uh, so it's it's just it's about value streams. It's about the end-to-end -end flow of value, and it's about identifying bottleneck there. Now, I think the DevOps movement resonated so much because so many organizations had a bottleneck in deployment, but the it, it's it's still the wrong way of thinking. It's the wrong principles. So uh -huh. the right principles are value streams. It's always been around value streams. Where uh -huh. is my constraint? Where's my bottleneck? And uh -huh. in the end, applying the theory of constraints to flow across your value stream. And it doesn't matter where it is. And it's interesting. You just said a, a very quick. This is what this is one of those conversations where it's not a Q and A. We're just in violent agreement with each other. It's great. Um, and uh, uh, something you said there was. Uh, they did the easy stuff first, which I, th I think was a, a superbly little uh, um, uh, ca capture of what's happened. So uh, the, the the person I was speaking to at, at, at the big bank essentially said, yeah, but the, we've still got the issue as we try to roll out DevOps that it's really, really hard to get this stuff working across the siloed parts of the business. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not just, doing the easy stuff first it's doing the easy stuff because doing the hard stuff is really hard and so you kind of end up um it's it's like you know there's a valley and the two sides of the mountain are going up like this so sure you could go up the mountain yeah. but boy why would why why would you get around to that and um the so 
on the on the doing the easy stuff first that means basically we've put put off this problem and I, I think it's really really important that um when we're thinking about value stream management that we don't think of it as something new necessarily mm -hmm. we think of it as something for now because you can only do the easy stuff for so long so then my question would be uh Oh, and there's one there's one last thing I wanted to get out before before I get out that, that my, my question would be so so what can we do about it you know is it just a case of starting to look that could be the easy answer but the other thing I found when um, when I was talking to to various organizations around uh, value stream management is that for example developers but everybody we all do this it's psychology we all game the systems that we're in so um, I think that if, if you're looking at productivity and you are a developer down to the individual level, you're going to be trying to clear through as, as many uh, change requests as you can, mm -hmm. as many pull requests as you can, whatever, because that's how you're measured. And that's then going to influence your metrics, but it's not going to influence the throughput. Um, so, so we're kind of creating problems for ourselves. So given all of that, sure, it's about visibility, what, just take a big telescope and kind of strap, strap it to the top of the building and look down or uh, buy your stuff or, you know, what is this? Do I need a chief visibility officer? Yeah. <laughs> what, what do I do? <laughs> so that last one's interesting. That's the first I've heard that. So we'll have to get back <laughs> to that. But yeah, let's, let's talk about telescopes, I guess. So I think the way that things are measured is, is critical. Right, and you know we've had major scientific revolutions have come with with new ways of measuring things. Right, the telescopes and the microscope; those have really changed how we do things, uh, scientific management, and so on. So, uh, really, I think the key thing because the it's it's always been around value streams. So, really, the only question that matters is how do we measure our value streams? And one thing that we know is that if we actually think the value stream as, as two different things, right? There's the, there's the fuzzy front end of the value stream, then there's the development, then there's the uh, code commit to code deploy of the value streams. We're not measuring the right thing. We're, we're mm -hmm. not seeing the customer perspective on the value stream. So I think the key thing is if this, this needs to be, value streams are about value, right? We've got that, that pretty critical word in there. They're not about activity, mm -hmm. they're about value. Value is about the customer. Or, uh, or you know, an, an end user. So we need to measure value from, from the customer's perspective. And we need to stop looking at this as disparate, you know, code commit to code deploy or fuzzy front end, but as the end to end flow of value. Mm -hmm. And then I think the bottom line is, the, this, I think this is a key concept that the value stream is just there, whether you like it or not, it's there. And either you're managing it or it's managing you. So the only way to manage it is, is to measure it. And mm -hmm. to measure it, we need, we need a way of measuring flow. And if, if we have that way of measuring flow, where we're actually, you know, we're thinking economically, of course, because we're delivering value, but we're not thinking about economies of scale of you know, putting out more and more widgets. We're actually thinking about what, what are the economics of flow? If we increase flow here by reducing technical debt, did we get a better business outcome? And I think the way you know, I've been you know, struggling with helping organizations understand this, because again, I think in my view, these are actually really fast time to value silver bullets. If you can just measure, you take one of your uh, key value streams, right? And you know, uh -huh. they tend to, the way that we see them is organizations tend to have those you know, between two and 10 feature teams or agile teams supporting a value stream that's delivering a significant business result to the organization internally to a business partner, externally to a customer, however it works. So just measure your flow time, right? That's pretty thing, obvious thing to measure when the core metrics in the, in, in the flow framework is how long it takes from work coming into the value stream to the customer receiving value. And if you can measure your flow time 
And if you then can measure the impact of shortening your flow time onto a business metric, like a net promoter score, uh, increase in revenue, increase in conversions to checking accounts if you're a bank or, or something else, then you've actually, this is the critical thing, you've connected flow uh, to an outcome, to a value metric. And in the end, I think this is what it's all about because we've noticed that as organizations shorten their flow time, their ability to then innovate and feed that back in changes dramatically. If, mm -hmm. if there's think, you know, really splitting out these, and, and I think you made this key metaphor you had, John, is that you've got these massive silos and each silo, if each silo is me measuring itself, you have no idea how to increase or decrease, decrease flow because you're only man measuring the silo. You're not measuring from a customer perspective. So I think it's, it's that simple. The telescope has to measure things end to end. Mm -hmm. And you, just as a starting point in the flow framework, there are four flow metrics, but as a starting point, just measure flow time. If you can get flow time down, by 20%, measure the business outcome of that. And, and the results are, in my experience, are just astonishing. And, and I think um, uh, I'm gonna throw something in as well, because uh, we've used the term value quite a lot. It's about value, it's about value. And then people might be listening to this and thinking, yeah, but what even is value? And I mm -hmm. think that is such a crucial question to answer. And it's like, well, you have to decide that as an organization. Yep but it needs to matter to, to that organization. So if you're a manufacturer, for example, it may well be about the number of widgets you can produce because you're literally straight into the, to the FMCG. You know, they're not looking at um, uh, whether or not every single uh, wash of someone's hair is, is the best wash ever. They're yeah. looking at whether or not they can get the pallets out to their, to their, to their trucks and, and so on and so forth. So, um, it really, really is important to, to, to be able to answer that question for yourself. What does value mean to my organization? And then the next thing, I think everything can be about, I'm, I'm a great believer in, in incremental benefits. So uh, if you can uh, apply, as you say, if you can then get that visibility, I'm, I'm, I'm desperate to throw in the phrase, turn the telescope around if you got it the wrong way. Uh, if you can, if you, if you can, um, work out exactly how things stand now then you've got the basis of an action plan and and it's something i used to love doing as a facilitator as a consultant or whatever where literally the only job you had to do was just ask some relatively dumb questions like okay how do we measure value okay what what's it look like today okay what what are the best things we can do in the short term to to improve that and it, consultants love using the phrase low hanging fruit mm -hmm. but actually there are often some very, very obvious places that that uh, you can unlock uh, bottlenecks that you can do. Oh, I didn't realize that you were you were reviewing it straight after I reviewed it. Well, how about we take that away, yeah. um, etc. So you can start seeing some really good benefits straight away. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it really is that simple, isn't it? And this is why our whole approach of the flow framework of everything that we do with the Tastop tools, it's those two things that you said. You need to define value. And the, the interesting thing is value is defined somewhere, right? It's not defined by a set of activities on a project plan or a Gantt chart, but it is defined somewhere in you know, a, lot of, a lot of our listeners are probably going to be thinking about their 2021 plans right now. Those 21, 2021 plans have value defined. Do we want to innovate faster? Do we want better net promoter scores on our customer engagements, uh, products, the, the customer facing mm -hmm. products? Do we need to grow revenue or grow reten retention or whatever it is? The value is defined somewhere. And it's about basically making sure that each value stream and every single team and person contributing to it understands that notion of value. 
right? If you're producing cars, those cars have to you know delight their customers and, and not turn off when they're on the highway. Uh, so mm -hmm. there's and and be produced you know reliably and in a scalable way at low cost and such. So everyone needs to understand value, and then to need to understand how flow contributes to that value. So this is why the you know, in, in everything that we do with customers, it's say, okay, if you're gonna reduce technical debt, every single reduction tech debt, while of course every, you know, it's quite popular to say like, well, we've got too much tech debt, we need to invest X percent of our capacity tech debt. No, tech debt has to either increase flow, it actually has to increase flow to drive future value, right? Mm -hmm. On our value mm -hmm. streams at up, we do not make any technical debt investment unless in one or two quarters, we actually know it's gonna increase flow, increase happiness, increase customer results, by, by basically allowing us to deliver more innovation, more value. So having that defined is invisible to everybody is, is step one. And then understanding how improving flow drives value is step two. I'm gonna flip that around actually, because last week uh, I, I had what amounted to be a boot camp session with one of my old business consulting uh, uh, colleagues. I, I was on the tech consulting side, but they, they put, you know what it's like when there's a bunch of people you don't know what to do with you stick them all in an office together because they don't generally get on and they keep asking annoying questions uh so i ended up sitting opposite uh, this guy that was all over balanced scorecard and saying well right. balanced scorecard yep. it's as good as far as it goes but it doesn't capture the dynamics and that that was uh so uh superb got super smart and and um he essentially reinforced in me uh, and the stuff that we do as an organization at, at gigon that the power of why so everything that you do, everything that one does should be able to answer the question of why you're doing it. So what you were saying about, you know, looking for throughput, looking for how you can enhance uh, certain activities to, to make sure that you're, you're improving flow. Another way of looking at that is every activity you're doing, like, why are we doing this? Is it going to improve our flow? Yeah. If it's not, if in doubt, often leave it out because it could be an opportunity cost. Like, well, we've always done it that way. Well, um, that's because we... We have to get it to that person because it's their job to look at it. Well, yeah, but why do they look at it, yeah. et cetera? And, and it's a hugely powerful, really annoying question. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then when, you've, when you're asking that question, so I think it's key, is why is this adding value, is this not? And I think one of the, the fascinating thing I see is when organizations try start to introspect on that, they start actually asking, well, how much value are we delivering? And then the, the percentage, when you start looking at this more closely, the percentage of large enterprises of value delivery versus other activities is scarily low, right? Uh -huh. And where we've measured some, and, and th this is by the way, is why I see this giant disparity, right? Where we will measure flow, we measure that the, the amount of value delivery as flow efficiency uh, uh -huh. through the flow framework, right? So when we're seeing flow efficiencies of 1%, 5%, 10%, that's really concerning because we know Uni you know, technology unicorns and tech giants have flow efficiencies that are far, far closer to 100%. So their proportion of investment to value delivery is 10 or 100 times better potentially than some of these enterprises. Of course, every one of these organizations is ripe for disruption, if that's the case, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the question becomes, you know, I think, as you say, you know, why are we doing this? Why, why don't we move off this legacy or why we don't leave this legacy alone and, you know, and build something on it and strangle it out over time? Uh, so I think the number one thing is why, but then the, the second thing is when you ask why, then you make a hypothesis and you have to measure the outcome. And this is where, this is why I've become so fixated in the last two years since publishing Project the Product, actually almost exactly two years ago, uh, that, that these organizations have to measure. You have to be able to measure whether this improved flow or whether it impeded flow. 
because when you ask why, the next thing is a hypothesis. Okay, how do we get better? What was the bottleneck? And then did relieving the bottleneck actually increase flow or not? So I'll give you a perfect example, and one that continues to drive me, you know, drive me crazy because it is sort of straight back to gold rat. Uh, the number one problem we see in our customers' value streams, and this is pretty much every single deployment of Task.biz in the Flow framework, is flow load is too high. And flow load is increasing. So the WIP work in progress is increasing. Now, if you're gold rat, you go, okay, well, you to increase throughput, increase how much value deliver, of course you have to bring it down. You you can't have your value streams overloaded. You'll get less than not more. That's you know, it's, it's the dynamics of flow uh, mm -hmm. and queuing theory. So yet, yet that's not understood. So again, if you ask why, why are we overloading our teams? Uh, what would happen if we actually reduce flow load and then you measure the outcome? And that's pretty transformational where, where you know, two months later, you've you actually got more done on that release and had fewer scope changes because you did this very counterintuitive thing of actually reducing the load on the teams. Mm -hmm. But to your point, these are pretty tall mountains and valleys on the silos, right? The business has to come along for that ride and say, okay, let's try it. Let's try reducing load and not overloading our teams and let's measure the result. And all of a sudden when the flow times decrease, the business side, the customer feels that very, very quickly because they're getting more rather than diminishing returns. I, and I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the final word to you. And this has been utterly fascinating. And I, I find myself, um, I'm going to confess, but for, for, for a Brit, uh, feeling quite excited about this. I'm not a Californian. <laughs> so, uh, but something that occurs to me, and, and this whole nature, it's not just about trying to make things more efficient, which suggests you've got a slow old process. You can make it faster. And eventually, yeah. you can make it quite fast by removing the slow bits and the et cetera, et cetera. That's one way of looking at it. And of course, that's important. But actually, in software, we're in the innovation game. Uh, and, and something stuck in my mind, I'm suddenly reminded uh, of uh, in, in the DevOps book, for example, uh, that it's a kind of retail scenario that, that they're playing through. And they were suddenly able to, the equivalent in these days would be on a Black Friday to on the Thursday, make a decision that they could then implement on the Friday because they, they, they spotted a need. And that isn't just uh, a, we've freed up time and therefore we can do things like that more easily. Actually what that suggests and what that allows is a real, inquisitiveness, a real excitement, a real kind of what can we do today? Because whatever we do today, we want to make sure that hits really hard. So to your point around, you know, if you want to, if you want to improve your flows by, you know, 1.5x, 2x, whatever, remove 10% from the from fine. Okay, do that. If you want to improve your flows by 10x, 100x, and actually be able to make a decision and then see that enacted within within hours, days, weeks, uh, you know, a very short period of time. Um, that's for any organization, that, that's got to be a real thrill. And you can actually, so when we're talking about culture change, like, oh, well, you've got to make people kind of just more active than, you know, you've got to get them to kind of get, get with the program. There's another part of this, which is actually to kind of inspire, to excite, to get people really wanting to deliver innovation really fast and the knowledge that they can create things and the, those they can see those creations come to life. There you go. That's my final word on the subject. I, and I think that's a, that's a great place to end it because to me, the, the, the actual goal, the vision where, where you need to get to is that, is, is a flow time measured in days because it's not really about the flow time then, it's about the speed of decision-making, speed of adapting to the market. 
So, and this is, you know, I know for our value streams, that's critical. It's the flow time measuring days is so important for us to understand whether this worked for the customer or it didn't. We released a neglected whip dashboard uh, on Tuesday and we're now getting feedback, right? It, did that, is, is that working? And of course, that'll be, it'll look a little bit different next week when we get that feedback. So that's really, that's where technology innovators, that's where they've got to is that mm -hmm. they're able to, that their flow and feedback cycles are that fast. And it is, it's invigorating when you're actually learning from the market that quickly, rather than consternating or, you know, is our, do we need to, you know, automate here or where we at in our, you know, training everybody, right? It, the, the, the goal, the end goal is that, that fast flow and feedback that drives decision-making and innovation. So and that, that's agree. what it's all about. Violent it's, agreement. It's been a, a pleasure speaking to you, uh, Mick, and, uh, uh, just say to anyone that's listening into this, uh, that's, that's enjoyed this conversation, feel free to, to find us on Twitter, uh, give, give any feedback you like, you find us in the usual place, read Mick's book because it's a great book and uh, just getting from a project mindset to a product mindset is possibly one of the most important things any organization can do that's delivering software. And uh, so that, that's my final word. Is, is there anything you, you just leave people with, Mick, just kind of something to, something to do tomorrow? Yeah, I think core part of your 2021 plan is measure your value streams so you're managing them and they're not managing the you as you said john they've always been there and and i think yeah 2021 is is the year that we all uh, get control and visibility on our value streams and and really help our staff through that process right help them become more innovative get their ideas out there into the market uh and move faster so. awesome Th thank you very much mick for for participating in this podcast today thanks so much john we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Voices in Innovation, and if you have, we recommend you go to gigaohm.com where you can find all of our research, blogs, and podcasts on all things IT. For all of your future forward advice on the tech industry, gigaohm.com is the place to go. We want to thank both John Collins and Mick Kirsten for joining us today on this special Task Top sponsored episode. For GigaOM, I'm Johnny Baldisberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation.